Salam guys, I'm Mohsin. Welcome to this episode of Millionaire Muslim. Here's a snippet of what's to come. Instead of just having dessert just as a product that you're selling, you mm. make the visiting of that place itself an experience. Before we get into this episode, we just wanted to spend a few seconds telling you about Islamic Finance Guru or IFG for short. Mohsin and I co-founded IFG in 2015 because we couldn't find content about personal finance and Islamic finance for Muslims like you and I. Nowadays, alhamdulillah, we reach an audience of hundreds of thousands and our goal is to keep providing great content to help you guys. So if you're looking for halal investments and Islamic mortgages or startup funding, check us out at islamicfinanceguru.com. And if you want to get in touch with us directly, you can get me on mohsin at islamicfinanceguru.com and you can get Ibrahim on ibrahim at islamicfinanceguru.com. Enjoy the episode. Assalamu alaikum and welcome to the Millionaire Muslim Podcast. Mohsin, what's happening? Assalamu alaikum everyone, how's it going? Alhamdulillah, I'm sat in my attic because this is the only place where I can be free of small children who will be very noisy and violent towards me. I'm sat downstairs I'm get- with a makeshift Crayola table and my podcasting gear is set up on top of it and uh, yeah, I know the feeling. Have you got a hat with tin foil on it? <laughs> no, but I have got a microphone with a windshield on it. MashaAllah. I might start wearing like cricket gear whilst doing this <laughs> podcast just to uh, preserve the sound. Anyway, what we're doing today is inshallah, we're going to be moving towards two podcasts a week. And we thought that what we do with this second podcast is keep it a little bit shorter and launch a series called The Business Agony Aunt. So this is the series and the idea behind the series is that we're going to go behind the scenes and just pick any business. It could be a real business. It could be an imaginary business. And the idea is that we're going to analyze these businesses and give um, insights, hopefully, that are useful for people and that will be probably applicable to a wide range of businesses, perhaps your own business. And we're going to be relying on, I think, two things. One is our experience from the corporate world where we're looking at businesses quite regularly. And then the other experience is through IFG and the various startup deals and business deals that we get you know, sent our way every day. And the analysis that we have to do and the conversations that we had around that, Alhamdulillah, because of that, you get a really good sense of, you know, when a business is working or not, what kind of things the business can do. So Mohsin, what are we doing for the first one? So we're going to look at halwa shops because there's loads of those, you know, up and down the country and often quite in concentrated areas, they're competing with one another quite heavily. And we thought it'd be good to just think about halwa shops in a new context. And that's the thing with these analyses. It's about thinking about something with a fresh pair of eyes and hopefully we can spark a bit of imagination in our audience as well. Great. And uh, what's your favourite halwa shop, by the way? I'm not sure I have one. I'm not that big on like Asian sweets. What? That's basically treason. <laughs> Don't you Gujaratis have like special like Indian bland halwas? Bland halwas? What? Yeah. Is that not a thing? Or am I thinking of someone else? I don't know what you're on about. There's nothing bland about Indian food. <laughs> That's that's true. <laughs> I think my favorite halwa shop is Ambala, and more precisely, and this is for anyone out there who has ever, you know, felt the urge to send us free gifts. So that I suppose all gifts are free, aren't they? But anyway, anyone who wants to send a gift that will win over my heart, it is a rasmalai from Ambala. Oh, I do like the Habshi halwa in Ambala, though. That is good stuff. That's fantastic, isn't it? Yeah, it is very good. It's not very good for you, but it is very good. You know, I'm distantly related in a a couple of chains down to the founder of Ambala. Mashallah. Maybe we should send them this podcast. Yeah, I actually will. I'll try and get it in front of them. 
Because, Let's do that. Um, any way that I can get myself some free rasmalai, I am not complaining. Although what I just said about me not really being into Asian sweets could be a good segue into this whole thing, by the way. Because one of the things that I was thinking about was just all about branding. Because yeah. we live in like a digital era now, and these businesses are very much not in the digital era. So one of the thoughts that I had, it'd be good to hear your thoughts on this, was halwa shops don't differentiate themselves from one another, not really. But if yeah. you think about the consumer they're very much digital first so you know you're instagramming away you're thinking about all these things and the place that you're going to go to is probably the place that's front of mind and the place that's going to be front of mind is probably the one that you're either seeing like lots of ads for or something that you've been particularly impressed with in social media because we spend a lot of Mm. time consuming social media so one of the thoughts i was having was you know, if you had somebody or like a halwa shop that was just really good at going behind the scenes and taking, you know, the Instagram stories behind the scenes about how they make yeah, things yeah. and all that, that'd be awesome. I agree completely. I agree. Before we dive in really fully into this, let's kind of give the audience a bit of context to what we're up to here. So when I look at a business and when Muslim looks at a business, we look at it from just really, really simple fundamentals up perspectives. What that means is a business to be successful needs to make profit. Profit is a really simple formula. Revenue minus cost equals profit. So the way you increase profit is by either increasing the revenue or decreasing the cost, or both ideally. And the way that you increase revenue really simply is by either increasing the price or increasing the quantity, because revenue is just price times quantity, right? So if you're selling halwa, if you sell more of it, you're going to make more money. Or if you sell the same amount but at a higher price, you're going to make more money. And then on the cost side of things, you've got either fixed costs or variable costs. So fixed costs are things like, you know, your rent. Variable costs is stuff like the sugar. The amount of sugar is variable depending on how much halwa you produce, whereas you're going to have to pay the rent regardless. And if you can decrease that, then again, you increase profit. And I think what we're, it sounds like mostly what you're saying is let's focus in on just thinking about how we can increase the quantity of halwa that can be sold. And one of the big ways that you can do that is, of course, the whole marketing piece. So let's kind of dive into that. And I know, you know, we had a kind of pre-discussion about this. Your thoughts about this were that, you know, we should think about how this halwa shop, let's say this halwa shop is on your busy Asian road. It's been there for 15 years. There's a few other halwa shops around it. How does that halwa shop increase the number of halwa that is sold in that shop? Exactly. And I think that part of the answer is through differentiation, isn't it? Because... Like you said, these guys are in close proximity to other shops. And when somebody's got a choice to make, they are going to go with whatever is front of mind, as I was saying earlier. And you've got to occupy that space somehow. Because if you don't, then you're no different to your competitor. What that means, I think, in today's day and age is actually telling your consumer who you are. Because nowadays, it's all about transparency. People... Mm go much further than just taking whatever you are at face value they actually really value you going deeper and showing them the inner workings of your business there's also the other element of it which is if you're not telling people what makes you different then how are they going to know you know just a really simple messaging point like if you've got a halwa shop that's using a generations old family recipe that's been passed down over the last like 150 years but it doesn't communicate that anyway does that business really expect their consumers to know stuff to know that they're using this 150 year old recipe that's you know been passed down in a sacred manner through the family 
So I think that, <laughs> you know, social media is, is massive for that. arcane ritual uh, where you have to kind of strip down to your dhoti and uh, <laughs> get past yeah. uh, the halwa from your granddad. Yeah, and you don't get it until like the deathbed or something. Allahu Akbar. But it's material, like this stuff is quite important. And I reckon there's a lot of businesses missing out on this opportunity to tell people about their business. I mean, judging from the state of some of the shops, I think they're, they're kind of trying to, you know, signal that it is a 150-year-old business. <laughs> yeah, well, they're not doing it explicitly. I had a few ideas about this and I was thinking, okay, so if I'm a halwa shop owner on, let's say, Ilford Lane, which is close to my heart because that's near where I live in London, heart of a very prosperous, well, I say prosperous, heart of a very busy Asian community. Lots of Muslims, lots of Indians, lots of people who, some Bangladeshi background, people who will buy halwa. And there's a whole bunch of halwa shops there. And I think that you're completely right. That it's all, it is about differentiation in that what makes someone come to you rather than someone else. And part of it, I think, is, as you said, you know, having that presence at the front of mind. And part of it, I think, is also you know, thinking more deeply about what are you actually trying to do here? What are you trying to sell? Are you trying to sell sugar, processed sugar? Because that's really what halwa is. Is that what you're trying to sell? Is this just a commodity? Or is there deeper meaning behind this? And think about when halwa is actually bought and sold. It's bought and sold when there is a wedding, when there is a celebration, when there's, you know, some kind of child being born, or there could be some kind of event or gathering where friends gather. And then you think about, how can I sell that narrative of, you know, bringing people together because that's what it's all about. But also B, how can I situate myself as the halwa shop that people think about? It doesn't even have to be a shop. It could just be a brand when people are gathering. Any thoughts, Mohsin? Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking about like John Lewis and Christmas. So, you know, like John Lewis are famous for their Christmas ads, right? And yeah. there's a bunch like Sainsbury's are to so a Coca-Cola. Like what are they doing there? It's all about they're selling the experience. They're not actually, you know, in a lot of those adverts, they're not even talking about the product. It's just kind of there in the background or whatever. It's never explicitly about the products, but it's all about experience. Yeah, so I completely agreed. agree with you. At IFG, we really value someone trying to run a halal business without dealing in riba. And we love it when Muslims bring something innovative to the table. And that's why we support Shropshire Hills-based Euro Quality Lamb, the largest Muslim-owned lamb abattoir in Europe. And I've actually been there and they're doing something genuinely impressive. And it has infused within it the Muslim ethos. What's special about Euro Quality is that out of the 15,000 lambs they process every week, they only select a handful of the best breeds of grass-fed lamb for their home delivery service. The meat is cut how you want it. English cuts, desi cuts, barbecue style. You just don't find this stuff at your local butchers. So order online at eurocualitylambs.co.uk forward slash shop and reference Islamic finance guru to get yourself a free masala marinade worth £4.50 and a YouTube recipe hijri calendar worth £5. Terms and conditions apply. And it's really fascinating because when you're spending on marketing, and we see this all the time with the businesses, like, you know, sometimes when you spend on marketing, you're spending as a, you know, just direct ROI, direct return on investment. And by that, I mean, you know, something like Google ads or something where it's very easily trackable that, you know, money in, money out. If you put money into Google ads, you can track very carefully how much of a conversion you're going to get. With these kind of shops, it might be that you think that if you do some leafleting, you on average see some uptick on your sales. But then there's a spend that you won't see a direct return. Spends that build up the brand exactly like you said, Mohsen, like you know, John Lewis and their adverts, Coke and you know people like Nike sponsoring footballers. It's not really about 
selling a product directly, is it? It's not like they're selling you, like Cristiano Ronaldo isn't going around hawking Nike trainers, but the fact that he wears it creates this brand that makes you buy it. And in the short term, you're not going to see a return on investment. But the more you invest in that in the long term, that's where you're going to see a return. And I think I heard the great Grand Mufti Gary said that you should spend, well, I think it was as much as you can on the ad, uh, creating the brand, as much as you can afford. But it could be something like 80-20 or 70-30, where 30 is towards the brand and 70 is towards, you know, just directly creating sales for yourself. Yeah, that makes sense. The reason, by the way, I said that for the audience that's listening, if you don't know who Gary, I think, what's his surname? Vaynerchuk. Yeah, Vaynerchuk. So if you don't know who Gary Vaynerchuk is, then check him out. He's just an expert in all, all these sorts of things. And the reason I say he's a grand mufti is because <laughs> I was watching a clip before and um, he was talking about the virality of TikTok. Some guy was like, yeah, I'm trying out TikTok. It's really good. And uh, Gary V was like, how often are you posting? And he was like, once a day. And then Gary V just like, post four times a day. So that, in my eyes, makes him a mufti because he's just delivering fatawa on TikTok and all sorts, isn't he? He is. He is. Damn right. TikTok could be an interesting one for a halwa shop. I agree. Right? I think it would work. Yeah, I think so as well. Like Halwa is quite a fun thing, isn't it? It's a fun thing. And there's also a bit of a mystery about the making of it as well. Yeah, that's true, isn't it? Like, I think in 15 seconds, you could do like a really sped up version of how you create a particular kind of Halwa. Yeah, 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 100%. So I think that wraps up section one. So Halwa owners need to get onto TikTok and post four times a day. <laughs> and pray five times a day. Yeah. <laughs> exactly just tiktok every time you pray but not yeah. whilst you pray because otherwise you know you get chucked out of the mosque yeah that's not very good is it there was once a guy who when i was praying salah the phone rang and he was in salah and he picked it up <laughs> and uh he was like oh i'm a bit busy right now i can't talk <laughs> and then he hung up and then he just carried on what a hero i suppose he was busy wasn't he he couldn't really talk <laughs> oh, he just dear. let them know Oh dear. So the other thing I wanted to kind of talk about here is that if you're going to do a business, you want to kind of do it at scale and really mm. kick on. And part of that is thinking about wider trends that are happening. Mm. So the thing that's going to differentiate you here is the new Asian mind is thinking of healthier foods and look at what the mainstream dessert producers, where they've gone and what they've been up to. And, you know, you can get real ideas around that. So instead of just having dessert just as a product that you're selling, you mm. make the visiting of that place itself an experience. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you make it either into a cafe or like a Baskin Robbins outlet, where it's essentially people go there to sit and just, you know, spend time and be there. Yeah. And, you know, like a pub, the Guinness Book of Records, Guinness is, as you know, an alcohol brand. And the reason why they initially came up with Guinness, uh, the book, is because they realized that the more times people spend in a pub, the more mm. they're going to spend. And so they wanted to create things that will make people spend more time in a pub. Mm. And the Guinness Book of Records and the pub quizzes that came out of it were a great way of doing that. And similarly, you could think about, so the first segue that a classic halwa shop would make is going into kind of a... An, an event-based or a coffee shop-based kind of, you know, seating area-based setup. Yeah. And then once they have that space, they can create all sorts of events that are relevant to them and that then create the traffic and the footfall naturally for people to mingle and essentially just buy stuff. Yeah. And then as a result of that, you achieve that whole thing of being front of mind anyway, because you're just so much more different to your competition. 
And I think that there's a parallel here between something like that and, like you said, just what mainstream players are doing. So I'm thinking of Hotel Chocolat, who didn't pivot, but they introduced like the whole cafe thing as well. So they do like, you know, gourmet hot chocolate type stuff and ice creams and all that kind of thing. And it's all about using their central product and then actually going to introducing more lines where people can actually consume that stuff whilst sitting in. So yeah, I think that would work. Agreed. And the other interesting thing here is that, you know, halwa fundamentally is not very healthy, right? Mm. And with things like ice cream, historically, we've seen over the last decade or so, there's been this rise of froyo and this rise of vegan ice creams and like milk-free ice creams. And there's all sorts of really, you know, cool, innovative stuff that's been happening around this whole area. And you as a business, you want to presumably have a certain ethos about you, right? And I think the natural ethos for a halwa shop, which is all about bringing together a people, mm. is you know, to some extent that family values kind of aspect. Mm. And you want to be doing something that is actually going to be healthy for people. And I think a good kind of case study to think about is someone like McDonald's, someone like, you know, Burger King, all these kind of shops that, you know, were really unhealthy. Coca-Cola. Coca-Cola, yeah, and are still, quite frankly, also unhealthy. But they've increasingly realized that customers really care about their health. Mm. And if their brand is associated with bad health, then people aren't going to use them. Yeah. Um, so any ideas, Mohsen, what? I mean, I don't know if there's like a diet halwa out there. Yeah, I mean, I think it probably goes down to the expertise of the halwa maker, isn't it? And, and what they can they can actually conjure up. There is also an element of just embracing that unhealthiness as well i completely hear what you're saying but if you think about coca-cola they've not actually made the changes to the product to make them any more healthy it's just that the brand perception isn't that bad because they spend a lot of money doing a lot of stuff that make aligns them with the stuff that's not that bad so it might be that that's the way but I don't know. I disagree with you on that. I think that the reason why they've come out of it are relatively unscathed is because they've just got brought out Diet diet Coke. And pretty much everyone that I have now see, when they're having Coke, it's normally Diet Coke. Mm, that's true. But I bet the data is not that Diet Coke sells Coke. Do you think? Nah, surely not. Coke is the core uh, product, isn't it? Do you reckon? I, Let me I, Google it. Let me Google, Google it right it. now. But I would be very uh, confident on that. If I'm not right, I'm, I'm quitting right now. Does Diet Coke sell more than Coke? Google knows. Google knows the answer. It's a groundbreaking Coca-Cola moment. Coca-Cola classic. It's... Interesting. It says, Our original iconic cola is still our top seller. However, 43% of the cola we now sell is made up of the Coca-Cola Zero Sugar Diet Coca-Cola Life, which have less or no sugar. Fascinating. So I was right. <laughs> you were right, but I was very, very close. Well, you know, there's no prizes for second, is there? Allahu Akbar. And that's another very profound point that once you go digital, then, you know, in a shop, in a community, there's probably enough space for multiple players. But mm. online, there's only one first pe- first rank on Google Ads. That's true. On a Google search page. I saw a good post the other day. Somebody posted saying that they had bought their Christmas presents and they'd hidden them somewhere that nobody would find them. Page two of Google. Wee. It's not uh, far from uh, the truth. <laughs> that's a cutting remark. For, and I'm sure there's many of our pages that are on page two, three, four, five, or six of Google. Yeah, and that's Sadly. why nobody finds them. Sadly. Right. Well, I think that's probably it for today. Any final wise words, Mohsin, for your budding halwa entrepreneur? I'm sure there are plenty, but I think we want to keep this quite short and sweet. Well, hey, that's exactly what we want. <laughs>
Pun intended, by the way. Absolutely. So thank you very much, Jazakallah guys, for tuning in. If you have a small business that yourself or you're working in an industry and you'd like us to cover it, then drop us a line. Ibrahim at IslamicFinanceGuru.com, Mohsin at IslamicFinanceGuru.com. And we'd be happy to take a look at your business, take a look at your industry and just do a bit of a discussion around it on this podcast. And, you know, we'd have... Also, because this is such a new format, just let us know what you think as well. Just, you know, give us your thoughts, improvements, tips, feedback, whatever, because we want to make it fun for you guys. Absolutely. Absolutely. Until next time, and make sure you you keep the Ambala Rasmalais coming in. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Assalamu alaikum everyone. If you got this far, you must have enjoyed the podcast, which means you'll definitely love our other episodes and other content we produce as well, inshallah. Be sure to check out the website, islamicfinanceguru.com, as well as our YouTube channel and social media. Until next time, assalamu alaikum.